Welcome back to Daf Hashavua. This week we're going to be learning Maseches Ksubos Daf Tes Zayin, and uh, beginning the second parak of Maseches Ksubos, uh, the parak that is called Ha'isha uh, Shenis Armila, and the Mishnah on Daf Yud Amud Beis described to us that a Ksuba of a woman who is considered to be Besula, who is a virgin of first marriage, is going to be worth 200 Zuz, while a woman who is uh, divorced or a woman who is widowed, so her Ksuba is going to be uh, worth a mana, 100 Zuz. And ultimately, when we have our Ksuba, so the Chassan goes ahead and he writes into the, uh, into the Ksuba how much the Ksuba is going to be worth. So our mission begins with a case of a woman who became... Uh, a widow, or was divorced, and there's no ksuba. The ksuba was simply lost. Rashi comes along and tells us, and Rashi says that uh, that a dibar maskil who omer that the shtar ksuba was avad. It was uh, it was misplaced. The shtar ksuba was lost. So the question that arises as a result of the lost ksuba is what state was this woman in uh, before the wedding? Was she a besula, and that thus she deserves two hundred zuz, or was she? Um, a bi'ula, in which case she would only receive 100 zuz. So what is uh, going to be the sum of money that she is going to be deserving upon her, uh, the loss of her husband, either uh, through uh, either through death or through divorce? Um, the Mishnah goes on and the Mishnah says that to describe the din, to describe what happens in such a circumstance. So the Mishnah says that the halacha is, if there are witnesses, that she went out with a hinuma, which is a form of head covering, which we'll speak about momentarily. But this form of head covering that in the times of the Gemara was only worn by Besulos, was only worn by women who just uh, experienced their first marriages. So if there are witnesses that, that, that describe that she went out of the wedding wearing that hinuma, so then she's going to for sure be uh, established as a besula, and her zuz will, her her ksuba is going to be 200, uh, 200 zuz. So what happens is, um, the way that our gemara develops is that basically these witnesses that describe her uh, her exit from the wedding hall are going to determine whether or not she uh, whether or not she's going to be deserving of these two hundred zuz. The witness, the mission also comes along and tells us that if there are witnesses that. There was a particular custom that was upheld. Our Mishnah here specifically refers to the uh, divvying out of candies or of some sort of uh, what the Gemara calls, what the Gemara refers to as uh, these uh, these uh, kilayos. So uh, if there was these giving out of these candies at this particular wedding, which was symbolic of the wedding of a besula, and witnesses can testify that there were uh, these candies that were handed out, which means that it was for sure the uh, the wedding of a uh, for sure the wedding of a besula. So then we can uh, assume that these witnesses are telling the truth, and we are able to establish her as a besula. Now. The Mishnah describes that she goes out with this hinuma. The question is, what is this hinuma, and what type of word uh, is that word hinuma? So it could come from a word, a Greek word, something to do with the Greek word himenaios, which uh, I actually heard a beautiful idea that uh, is related to the word him. That the word him means that there were these songs that were sung at the wedding as the woman uh, left the wedding hall. And that's really what we're referring to. So if the Besula songs were sung and the witnesses testify that the songs that were sung were songs of a, uh, were songs of a Besula, so then we can establish her as a, uh, as a Besula as well. Rabbi Nuchanan suggests that it refers to some sort of legal act that took place and uh, in which case we can establish her as a besula in this circumstance as well. 
And there are others that suggest that it's a thin scarf, some sort of head covering, some sort of thing that was uh, that was worn on the Kala's head. But it might not necessarily be an object. And the Aruch, one of the uh, one of the uh, the great uh, Mefarshim, the great Talmudic dictionary, points out that it was uh, some sort of um, some sort of object that identified the fact that this was this woman's first marriage. And if she walks out with the sinuma, so we can assume that she was a besula and she's deserving of two hundred zuz. So the Meiri wonders on our Mishnah if these candies uh, are dafka, these candies, the handing out, the giving out of these candies, or is uh, is it just uh, anything, any other act that was done to establish this uh, this wedding as the wedding of a uh, the wedding of a besula? And the Meiri points out that uh, that, that, that really it's any action, it's anything that would be done at the wedding of a besula. And the Ramam writes this as well in Hilchos Ishos, Perak that if there were Edim, that a particular minhag was kept of a, uh, of a wedding, of a besula. So we can assume that she was a, uh, that she was a besula. Now there's a fascinating question that arises, Halach Lemaisa, based on our Mishnah. And that is the question of, uh, with regards to a woman covering her hair. So when does the chiyav of covering her hair uh, begin? So the kala doesn't cover her hair at the wedding, and uh, many of the uh, the poskim try to figure out why that would be. So it's all based on a comment that's made uh, by the Shita Mikubetes, and Rashi even points out on our Gemara, before we get to the Shita Mikubetes, but Rashi points out on our Gemara that basically she walks out with her hair on her shoulders, and that's what happened when these uh, when these brides that were besulos would leave their uh, their father's homes to their uh, to the uh, to the wedding to the wedding hall, but the Shita Mikubetzis points out that an arusa doesn't need her hair covered, only an asua does, and therefore this woman, uh, 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 unless there's what we refer to as yichud haroy lebia, the yichud that takes place at the wedding hall uh, is not a yichud that's going to have bia involved with it, and therefore. She's still in the halakha category of somebody who is in Arusa, and she wouldn't be chayav until she uh, she goes back to her, wherever her and her chassan are going to be spending the night. She's not going to be considered to be an isuin to an, an isua until that point. There's actually a Talmud of Rishon Zalman Orbach who described a conversation that he had with Rishon Zalman Orbach, in which Rishon Zalman uh, described to this particular Talmud that he thinks that there's very little room to be make all over here. And a woman really should cover her hair uh, over the course of the wedding. But Shlomo Zalman was of the opinion that he's not going to change a minhag. That the minhag is, is that a woman at her wedding doesn't cover her hair. And therefore, the minhag is going to uh, maintain itself. And Shlomo Zalman was not willing to go ahead and to change the minhag, even though he thought that halakhically speaking, a woman would be obligated to have her hair covered at the uh, at the time of uh, at the time of her wedding. In Sephardic circles, Ravavadi Yosef describes that if the Sephardic minog is that the yichud is only at the tail end of the wedding, the whole wedding, there's no uh, there's no yichud whatsoever. So the final stage of marriage hasn't taken place yet, and therefore she wouldn't have to cover her hair. But Ashkenazim will have yichud earlier, what we generally do. So lechora uh, we would have to, but we don't paskin uh, like, this, uh, like this approach, and therefore women at the uh, during uh, her wedding uh, is not going to be required to have her hair covered. The Mishnah concludes with a statement that's made by Rabbi Yoshua about a sada that somebody comes and says that 
uh, 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 there's this particular field. It did belong to your father, but I came along, says, um, says, uh, says Shimon, and I bought it from your father. So the Mishnah describes that we have a concept over here that the one who said, uh, the one who said, I bought this field from your father is believed based on a principle that's called Apesha Asr Hu Apesha Hitir. Now, this is a principle that we see throughout Shas. The principle basically means according to Rashi, that since uh, Shimon has no clue that his father owned a field, so when Ruvain comes and Ruvain claims that he bought a field from uh, Shimon's father, so Ruvain is believed. But if there are Edim, that the field did belong to Shimon, then Ruvain's claim means nothing. So basically what this concept of Pesha or Pesha Hittir actually is, is a concept that's going to establish a Chazaka based on uh, a person being one who uh, uh, matirs something or a person who being one who goes ahead and one who or something. It's actually a similar concept to uh, one of the most useful concepts that we have in Shas in learning, the concept of Migu. Migu, in essence, means that if we have a particular baldin, we have a particular litigant, and he possesses the ability to win a claim with uh, uh, a particular claim. I can go ahead and say something, a sweeping claim, make a sweeping taina, so I can, uh, I can uh, win for sure. I can lie and win. And he may similarly claim uh, he may similarly rather win the case by going ahead and making any claims. So several Gemaras relate to uh, the, the the relationship between Pesha Asr, Pesha Hittir, and Migu. And uh, basically, if I could have remained silent and I go ahead and I make a lower level claim instead of making the higher level claim, so the Gemara and, and, and the post can describe that that would be good enough to establish something in my uh, Rishus and I can take a chazaka over that particular uh, over that particular item. So we have a uh, a case, for instance, of a squatter. So we have a squatter who uh, goes ahead and says that he a particular piece of land. Uh, he is uh, the bailim over a particular piece of land. So the we would rule that the squatter is believed to have purchased the land because he could have remained silent. He could have just lived there. But from the fact that the squatter goes ahead and he makes a comment that this is, uh, you know, uh, that, I, uh, that I'm here, that I'm uh, part of this land. So he could have just remained silent and allowed status quo to, to, to maintain itself. But when he goes ahead and when he makes a comment, so we um, are going to go ahead and we are going to uh, believe him based on this concept of, uh, based on this concept of Migu. And whether or not these concepts are the Orais and the Rabbanon, certainly a fascinating uh, discussion. And there are many nafkaminas between this concept of Migu and Pe'asher Pe'ashehitir. So we have our Gemara, which opens up trying to understand the first clause in our Mishnah, trying to clarify whether or not the woman was a Besula or a Be'ula. Now there's a fascinating discussion in Lamdus in terms of what the Edim need to see to serve as proper witnesses that a marriage is effective. So obviously the witnesses have to see the Maise Kedushin, the giving of the ring. It has to be seen. But what about the face of the Kala? Are the Edim required to see the face of the Kala? So at the end of our Daf, we have the famous uh, phrase in the Gemara, which we'll speak about uh, at the end of our uh, few minutes learning together, but we have the famous phrase of and uh, we know that uh, you know a person is able to based on the comment that's made uh, at the end of Tes Zayin, Amud Beis of Kalana of that we're supposed to describe the beauty of a uh, of a particular Kala, but 
are we supposed to look at the Kala's face? Is the Kala's face supposed to be shown to the particular, uh, to the, uh, to the Edim? So, Shochan Aruch writes that we should distance ourselves, me'od, me'od, from looking at other women. And we're not allowed to look at, uh, other women, uh, the beauty of another woman. And, uh, the Shulchan Aruch, however, does describe, based on the Gemara in Kedushin, that it is Asr Sheikadesh Ad Sheyirena. Person can't uh, marry somebody unless they see her. Obviously, the post can describe and point out that when a person is dating, so person has to find a level of attraction in the person that they are uh, that they are dating with. So it would obviously be mutter to look at somebody uh, in uh, in that in that fashion. So what about in the context of marriage? Are the Edom allowed to go ahead, and are the Edom allowed to look at the Kala? There's a comment made by the Rush, and the Rush describes that uh, the Adim don't necessarily uh, look at her. They look at the Hinuma before it's on her head. They look at the Hinuma, this, uh, like we described earlier. They see this item, and they see that this item is there. And if this item is there, obviously it's going to be uh, worn by a woman who is a Basula. And therefore, according to the Rush, we don't even have to look at her at all. And the rush additionally says that maybe the hinuma is on top of her head and we're not going to be looking at her head uh, proper. We're not going to be staring at her. We're going to be looking at what's uh, what's on top of her head. And the Shulchan Aruch says that a person can also even look at jewelry, that depending on the type of jewelry that a kala has, we can determine whether or not she's going to be a besula. The Radvaz over here writes that a person needs to look at the kala. You have to know what she looks like. And of course, uh, you're going to be able to look at her. But there are, and points out their advice, and this is generally how we uh, how we assume, there are different types of looking. There are different ways in which a person can look at something, at someone. We can glance at somebody. We can stare at somebody. We can glare at someone. We can look at someone. There's a difference between, uh, halakhically, what's referred to as histaklus and re'iyah. Ria means to look, to glance, to look over at something. Histaklos means to focus on something. These have other ramifications in areas of halacha uh, elsewhere. Uh, but over here, it seems that to just look at her, says the Radvaz, that's for sure mutter. And uh, as long as a person doesn't come to the state of histaklos, so the Ria would be uh, mutter indeed over here. The Ramah and Evan Ezer and Simon Lamed Aleph, Seif Beis. So the Ramah writes there that there's a minog of covering the Kala's face to describe the fact and to show the fact that the Kala's response to seeing the ring uh, is, uh, is, uh, uh, could determine how much the ring is going to be worth. And therefore, we go ahead and we do our best that, um, that, uh, that the Kala's face is uh, somewhat covered, which has obviously led to all sorts of minhagim in terms of how a woman's face is covered under the, uh, under the chuppah. From the most machmir uh, shitos in Hasidish culture, so we have women that wear uh, very thick veils in which you can't see anything uh, beneath, her, uh, beneath, her, uh, beneath her face, beneath the veil. And uh, in our circles, so a woman wears like an opaque type of veil that uh, many kalas, uh, that many kalas wear that you can see uh, that you can see her face. It happens to be that the last line of our Gemara on Daft Hazayin Amad Beis is the famous Gemara that we mentioned a few moments ago, where the Gemara says, Tanurabanan Ketzad Miraktin Lifneakala. So the question that becomes is, uh, how do we go ahead and uh, and how do we uh, dance in front of, how do we dance in front of the Kala? And the Gemara says that Beishamai Omrim, so Beishamai comes along and says, Kala Kemos Shehi, we praise the Kala as she is. And Beisel says, we say, Kala Nova Chasuda, we describe how beautiful she is. But it's a fascinating uh, response 
to a question in the Gemara, but it doesn't seem to answer the question. The question was, The question was, how do we dance in front of the Kala? Not what do we say to the Kala or how do we describe the Kala? The question was, So Rashi on the spot points out that Ketzad Meraktim just means ma'omrim lifaneha, right? So Rashi basically describes that we are, uh, in essence, saying what are the things that we're going to say in front of her? What are the um, the uh, the comments that we're going to make? What are the praises that we're going to uh, say about her? The Maharsha points out that. As we're dancing, we make these particular comments, and uh, that's what we're referring to uh, over here. And uh, we're praising the uh, we're praising the 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 chassan to enhance the, uh, to, the we're praising the kala rather to enhance the simcha of the uh, of the uh, of the chassan. There's a wonderful comment that's brought by the uh, by the Ben Ishchai. Ben Ishchai describes the following, and it's a beautiful insight, and it's certainly more homiletical than it is uh, than it is pshat. But what the uh, ben Ishchai describes is that when we say Ketzer Meraktim Lufnei Akala, so how do we dance in front of the Kala? And then Beishamay and Beisol describe the things that we say. So the Ben Ishchai points out that really when a person uh, speaks, really when a person describes something, really when a person goes ahead and uh, gives a description about somebody else, so speaking is actually a dance. Do we say this? Do we not? Do we engage? Do we not? Do we mention this? Do we not? So the world of speaking and the world of dancing are actually uh, interconnected. They are both uh, uh, actions that require uh, jumping in and jumping out and trying to uh, to uh, to play with words and some of the things that we say to make sure that the things that we say are uh, appropriate and are nice and are uh, respectful of the person to whom we are saying those things to. And uh, that's what we're saying when we say, What are the things we have to dance around? The way in which we go ahead and the way in which we, uh, the way in which we, uh, we compliment a kala. And that ends up, uh, ends our Gemara Tezayin Amad Beis. And uh, that begins the parak of Ha'isha Shenis Armala. And uh, as we make our way through Mesachas Ksubos, a lot of different Shas concepts of Migo, Pesha Asr, Pesha Hitir, the Besulos, the Beulos, the Ksub, uh, the 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 Mane, the Matayim, all of the things that uh, that uh, that uh, that a person's going to be um, deserving of if a uh, marriage breaks off, unfortunately, and uh, that takes us through Mesachas Ksubos Daf Tes Zayin.